0: Welcome back. We hope you've been behaving yourself. This is Jackie Noto.
1: And this is Mary Lewis. Welcome to Behave Yourself, a podcast on BA without the BS. Jackie, what is your beverageino of the week? From flat soda to frappe, how's it been going?
0: I'm going to hit us with an outlier here. My beverageino this week, a mint chocolate chip milkshake. It's getting warmer out. I want something to cool me down, but something that's still fun, light, refreshing. Most people with milkshake doesn't go to refreshing, but mint is certainly refreshing. Absolutely. This week I've been teaching. Uh, I've moved in recently, recently being like two and a half months ago. So right now I'm still working on my nesting behaviors, getting things onto walls, getting my knickknacks in places. So I've been doing work, but also... Making my environment productive for me and somewhere that I enjoy being. So I'm going to go with a
1: milkshake. Mm. How about you, Mary? Uh, my beverage of the week is the Arctic Vibe flavor from Celsius because I have been um, routinely, we love a good pattern, burning myself out on Thursdays. When I say, burning myself out. I do not mean experiencing real life occupational burnout where there are like resources and places I can go to get help. I'm talking about having a temporary, like just exhaustion basically. So I'm pretty sensitive to caffeine. I had my one cup of coffee and it just wasn't doing it. And so I pulled out the Celsius. I cannot drink the whole thing or else, you know, my body freaks out in not a good way, but I've just been having a few sips And every once in a while, I think it's totally okay. You know, I had a pity party and now I'm in my Arctic vibe, Celsius era, and we're going to recover and still be able to enjoy the rest of our week and be proud of the, what we've done so far. That's my vibe. I love that for you.
0: Do you have any recommendations for this week?
1: I do have a recommendation. I've been using Notion, learning how to do it. I'm not an expert but um, I'm just like utilizing it more and more. And something that I happened upon that I really enjoy doing is um, I love to journal, but engaging in those writing behaviors specifically is like pretty high response effort for me, especially at the end of the day. And so I've actually been like, um, I have a daily diary page in Notion where I just put the date and then I journal but I use the voice dictation and so I just go in my backyard at the end of the day it's usually right after I walked the pups so I like let them kind of sniff around have their last little um, play time outside before it gets dark and I just walk around and talk through my day but I kind of focus on like what I did that was great you know it's very much like hyping myself up and then if there's anything that I can do that didn't go great that I can do like that I can fix immediately in the future. Um, And then I end it with gratitude, but it legit takes three minutes and I have all of this information. So I've been doing that for a few days and I'm going to try to keep it up because I think it could be a really cool way to like love myself better and also self-monitor in a more effective way. Like, okay, every Thursday this is happening. No stress. What can we do next week? So maybe that doesn't happen. Or what did we do last week that surprisingly went super amazing and how can we do it this week? I love that because you're also reducing the response effort of engaging in those behaviors. Exactly. What is your recommendation of the week, Ms. Jackie?
0: My recommendation for the week is to go outside and get some vitamin D. Just taking some time outside in the sun. I know those of us who are in educational sectors, whether you're getting your master's, getting your PhD, We're inside a lot, inside in front of a computer, inside working with your clients. And when you do a bunch of work all day, uh, it might not sound the most appealing to go sweat outside, but getting some of that sunlight is just so beneficial. I know for me, it's huge for my mental health to get some time outside. I know we briefly talked about it on the podcast before that concept of nature dosing, but even if you're just going to be outside for 30 minutes, go do it. I tell my students every week that, uh, one of their side secret assignments, it's not something they get graded on, but I want them to engage in self-care at least 30 minutes a week. Mm -hmm. And for me, just sitting outside in the sun, whether you're at the pool, whether you put out a towel on a patch of grass in your backyard and letting yourself exist is so nice. And there's my
1: wreck. That's an amazing rec. There's a lot of research out there to support that. Even just five minutes of direct sunlight a day.
0: Yeah. And obviously now it's helpful in the summer months, but continuing that when we get into winter, there are a lot of people who have seasonal depression Mm -hmm. and getting some of that sunlight is huge. On the same note too, I really like those Himalayan salt lamps. I have two of them. And at first I felt the same way about them that I did about blue light glasses in the sense that I was like, this is something that people say works, but it doesn't work. And then I started seeing some of the information on the salt lamps and how they can be beneficial. So I tried them out and outside of the ions that they can release, they're really great for maintaining that circadian rhythm as well, instead of having bright lights at nighttime. Mm -hmm. So using some natural ways to get yourself in the best place you can be. And that might be a different place this week than it was last week. And it's going to be a different place next week than it is this week. But just showing up for yourself every day is the most that I can ask of you.
1: I love that mindset. I think that's very supportive. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. So for today's topic, what are we spilling the tea on today? We're going to spill tea on ourselves.
0: No worries. <laughs> we're both going to have brand new outfits ready to change into. <laughs> I knew you but... gonna... <laughs> Dad jokes over here, but we're going to talk about who we are. We know mm-hmm. we opened up with a lot of conference content. And as we continue on, we're going to dive more into different sectors within behavior analysis, soap boxes for people in behavior analysis, tips and tricks that have worked for us. But we thought it might be helpful for you and for us gaining rapport with one another for you to know a little bit more
1: about who's talking to you each week. Exactly. We just want we just want to be vulnerable and share a little bit more about ourselves. I think we're going to start with a lightning round. Is that correct? Pew, pew, pew. Call me Lightning McQueen. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. Mm. All right. Let's get started. Okay. What do you want to jump off with? I want to talk about our astrological signs. <laughs> Okie doke, artichoke. So I am a, <laughs> um, I'm a Pisces sun through and through, an Aries moon, which I relate to. A rising Sagittarius, which I don't, but apparently Jackie says I very much give Sagittarius energy.
0: Au contraire, but still similar. I am a Cancer sun. So Mary and I are both in highly emotional categories for our (laughs) predominant sign. I am a Leo moon and my rising is also Sagittarius. So for me, that cancer sun is I have emotions and I feel them deeply. I feel other people's emotions as well. Mm -hmm. That Leo moon is, I don't know if the correct term is center of attention. Uh, but sometimes if I'm in a room full of people, I really do like making new connections and talking to people and looping people in. So it's definitely that standout category that Leo's certainly have. Mm -hmm. And then my Sagittarius rising, that's where my spunkiness comes in. My little bit of feisty feisties that's in that Sag realm.
1: The spas is spas.
0: In addition to those astrological signs, Mary and I, a little bit, earlier in our relationship also looked at Enneagrams, which we know is a huge topic in the social circles of how people identify themselves. Mm -hmm. Funny enough, (laughs) Mary and I are the same Enneagram.
1: The exact same. So we're both um, Enneagram two, wing three. And what does that mean? Which gave me, I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, Honestly, I don't really know. It gave me validation, though, when I read the um specifics. But it has a lot to do with um, focused on, like, emotional intelligence and friendship. We're both givers.
0: So a big part in that two wing no. three is that you like to help out other people. You like to... Show up. You like to be loyal, trustworthy. It's literally called the host. (laughs) The hostess with the mostest baby. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And if you've been a part of my life, you know, I like hosting gatherings, hosting get togethers. My whole life I've been identified as the mom friend. So I think that's a really good way to loop in the Enneagram two wing three. Mm -hmm. Even in my friend group back home where I grew up, where I think we're all mom friends, I am the mom friend of the mom friends. Yeah, So we're like the hosts, the givers, the entertainers, the ones that like making people feel welcome, comfortable. Sometimes we put our own needs on the back burner because of that, Mm -hmm. but
1: that's the main thing. We like to bring people in, bring people together. And if you know anything about, signs us sharing that info will that's it's really all you need to know just look those up or if you know them you're like okay i know their i know their vibe i know their friend vibe same with enneagram but ways that we are different are kind of how we operate with our routines and our life rituals oh yeah mary (laughs) is
0: an early riser (laughs) i am a night owl so for me, if I'm like, yeah, I'm waking up early today, that's like 9 a.m. For Mary, waking up early, that's like 3:30. No,
1: stop. No, 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 no. Feel free to tell us the time. Then it's like it's like um right now it's 6:45. The thing that people no know- not your schedule. What would you identify as waking up early? Oh yeah, like 4 a.m. Mm -hmm. because here's the thing i used to do crossfit i don't anymore because it just wasn't it wasn't serving me in the ways that i particularly needed it but i learned a lot and i really loved it so not trying to not trying to have a bad rap with crossfit but i was going to a class that the people who had introduced me to crossfit were going to and it was the 5 a.m class so i had to wake up at literally 4 a.m and i did it for a good amount of time and so all my friends were like wow like how does she wake up that early and now for people that um I'm not as close with like when we chat they always are like do you still do CrossFit do you still wake up at 4 a.m and I'm like no but yeah I think early is like 4 or 5 a.m um I try I've graduated from that to being like anywhere honestly like 7 a.m anything like a little before a little after that's kind of like my sweet spot of quote, morning time. And that's also when I work best. So even if I don't want to wake up early, I'm not saying like, I love being awake when nobody else is just because I'm better than everyone. No, I actually like write the best during that time. So I'm like, even if you don't want to, Mary Lewis, you better get your bottom dollar up because we got got to graduate. And it's funny because we have similar functions,
0: different layouts of behavior. Mm -hmm. So especially when I was in the master's program, I was doing work at 2 a.m., Staying Mm -hmm. up from the night before. And a big part of that was I could get so much done when no one else was awake and working. Yeah. Uh, I have been a night owl my whole life though. So I'm going to share this little tidbit here. My mom always used to say to my brother and I, well, you know, the early bird gets the worm. And my response from childhood was, well, the early worm gets eaten.
1: Like, <laughs> Sagittarius vibes coming in hot. So
0: there's my counter for you. If anyone ever says the early bird gets the worm, the early worm gets eaten. Really, what matters is that you you work with whatever schedule works for you and for your lifestyle. I exactly. teach master's courses at nighttime. I get done teaching some nights at ten p m. So I'm not going to bed at eight thirty
1: exactly. And I even I wouldn't so I wouldn't even say seven a m is early, but when I wake up at seven a m, I am quite literally five o'clock hits, and I'm like, I'm done with work. Time to make dinner. Time to walk my dogs. Time to chat, and then I'm fully like showered, pajamas, eye patches, Kindle with. I don't have a Kindle, but the my I use my iPad to read a book at seven. Sometimes like seven, sometimes seven thirty, sometimes eight. So like while it's like, wow, you wake up so early. It's like, yeah, but I also go to bed probably when you are still working. But I do think being a dog parent turns you
0: more into a morning person.
1: They really honestly help in times where I struggle the most with being consistent because, yes, they're flexible in terms of like their meals and walks of like, you know, a few hours. But after a certain amount of time when I'm laying in bed, I'm like, okay, I need I need to feed my dogs like it's it's yep. They, they have needs that need to be met. It is my responsibility to do that. I would argue that that is very helpful.
0: Yeah. Without Hercules, I could easily sleep till one to 2 PM every day with Hercules. I'm getting up between nine and 11 every day. And that's yeah. fine because that if I wake up at 10, let's say, and I finish teaching at 10 PM, that's an okay time frame. Yeah. But having a dog certainly switches that schedule a bit because at 7 PM, he's like, Good night, mom. I'm going (laughs) to sleep. Enjoy teaching. (laughs) He's such a good boy. (laughs) How does he think we pay for treats? Hmm? (laughs) He doesn't have a job. (laughs) He he doesn't need one. Someone want to give my dog a job? He has his own Instagram. It's Hercules Muddigan.
1: if you want to give him a follow. Oh my gosh. You have to follow him. He's incredible. Got to plug the boy. Absolutely. All right, so now let's chat about why we're friends. We've kind of exposed some of our similarities and differences and, you know, giving you a little bit of our personality that's like, you know, pretty stereotypical across other personalities based on what we've described. But we are um, rather close, I would argue. Jackie was one of my bridesmaids. And um, we chatty chat quite often. Like we we are close friends, like in real life. And so um, we thought it might be fun to talk about why we're close friends, because that is also kind of why we started the podcast and we want to, we want to chat it up and share it with you guys. Part
0: one, I think, and this goes counter to that Enneagram information, Mary and I are both actively trying to not be people pleasers. Mm-hmm. We've operated in people pleasing contingencies for a fair chunk of our lives. And we've seen the benefits and the detriments that it can have. Mm -hmm. So we both met each other in a point of our lives where we had done some healing already. Therapy is great. Mm -hmm. We recommend therapy to anyone. Yes. Well, we had done some internal healing and identified some of the functions of our behavior and realized that when we are engaging in these people pleasing behaviors, we are consistently putting other people's needs Above our own, and arguably other people's wants above our needs. Mm -hmm. So, when we met each other, we were both in this place where we wanted to stop being people pleasers all of the time and start advocating for ourselves, advocating for our needs, our wants, maintaining boundaries that we set. So, it was really healthy and helpful
1: for us to meet someone who was in the same place of life that we were. Exactly. And when you're interacting with people and you have – and having conversations with people and you have that um, mindset or value or whatever you want to call it, like hyper-focus on um, people-pleasing behaviors, when I'm interacting with Jackie and we're, we're both, I would say, you know, effective communicators um, in the realm of life. But also, if I'm talking about certain things I'm doing for other people or helping them, Jackie is – is um quick to remind me of like my own personal boundaries or like do you have time for that do you actually want to do that and i think it can be kind of tricky or sometimes um like not as helpful if the people that you're surrounded by are also people pleasing um mm-hmm. whether they're doing it intentionally or not but that's kind of like my mind scope and so when i'm interacting with Jackie like she has those same personal um desires to not people please 24/7 And that's given me a lot of like empowerment and also practice at setting boundaries for sharing information. And the the biggest life lesson that I've learned that I'm trying to get better at is just because you have a solution, just because you know information that you can present to someone that would be helpful. If they don't directly ask you for it, you do not need to provide it. Like you do not have a moral obligation. You're not a bad person. If you're like, oh, I actually know what would really help. Maybe they don't want your help. Or, and if they do, they need to ask you for it. You know, you you shouldn't be like handing it over. Um, and even in our professional lives, we're trying to constantly be like, are we being appropriately compensated? Whether that's not even monetarily, but like resource wise, are we being compensated appropriately based on our own needs before just spilling all of our guts of stuff that we've worked hard to acquire and share with people who are, you know, actually interested in hearing that information? Yeah. Prior to
0: Mary and my friendship really taking off, I was doing a lot of unpaid labor. Yeah. So I think I've held Mary pretty accountable in terms of boundary setting. Mm-hmm. Mary has held me accountable to advocating that I should be getting paid for these things. And if yeah. I don't, then I'm not going to continue putting hours into them when I don't have any benefit. Absolutely. And here, right. Pay is one, but as Mary said, resources, Mm -hmm. assistance, Mm -hmm. uh, is all part of that as well. Another really big way that, uh, Mary and I became friends. I'm going to toot my own horn here. Toot it. I actually knew Mary's husband before I met Mary. So I had met Mary's husband I'm not saying his name because I don't know if you want that in or Oh, I've said now. it. I've said it. Okay. It's fine. I met Mary's husband, James, about a year and a half before I met Mary. He was my trainer at the clinic that we were working at. He and I became friends. We would hang out almost every weekend with our little group and go and do activities and go to the bars and uh, go to the beach. And then Mary came into the program and it was so flipping cute because <laughs> I became friends with Mary as well. And James would come to me and he'd be like, Yeah, I really think I like this girl, Mary, but I don't know if she likes me. So I don't know if I'm going to do anything about it. And then I'd be like, Mm hmm. And then I turn around and Mary would be like, Yeah, so I like this guy, James, but I'm not really sure. And he hasn't made a move. So I don't really blah, blah, blah. And I was sitting there with my little strings, <laughs> like Japetta, my little puppeteer. And I was like, Well, what if you just ask? Well, what if you just went? And then it just really started picking up and it was so cute to see, which is why I was enthralled to be a part of the wedding, because it was so nice to not only see people in love, not just see one of my friends in love and looking towards their fairy tale ending. But I got to see two people that I had known for years at this point who developed love, respect, communication with one another grew not only as a couple, but individually as people. And it was one of the most heartwarming days of
1: my life. Oh my gosh, I'm so flattered. Uh, Yeah, I think there were three core players in contriving my marriage. I had three friends. One of them, Marissa, love you. She took the selfie with me james and her because like it would have been weird if she was like you two get in a picture because like we had where you weren't dating or anything but i had a crush on him and um so she took that selfie and i still have it and it just brings back the greatest memories um and then we have jackie who is making sure that james and i somehow at least attempt to go on a date (laughs) instead of doing this little dance um and then we have our other friend katie who um um quote, like spilled the beans and told James that I liked him, but also I had liked him for eight months at that point. If you want to hear the full story, we'll, we'll talk about it later. We don't need to talk about it now. Um, and so that's how he found out. And then um, she moved and we had like a going away party for her. And one of the last things that she said to us was, um, can't wait to see you guys at your wedding. <laughs> and now we're married. And this is so funny
0: because at this point in time, Katie and I were living together. <laughs> Katie was closer friends with Mary. I was closer friends with James. So we were both getting our own Intel and then coming home and being like, lips sealed. Like, well, what do you know? I don't know anything. Well, what do you know? Well, I know that you know something. You tell me what I know. You tell me what you know. Well, no, I don't want to tell you what I know. So then we were like going back and forth with our own information. And then one day we just kind of like looked each other and we were like, yeah, Mm hmm. Yep. It was it was a cute time. It was a cute time. It's the best memes. One of the other large reasons as to why I think Mary and I are friends is because we think in very similar ways. Mm -hmm. We if you think of some OBM literature, Mary and I are both eagle viewpoint people instead of that worm viewpoint where we're seeing the whole picture instead of one step at a time. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, another loop into my childhood here my brother always used to tell me that most people have file cabinet brains and they can go like if we're looking at a 1992 lebaron convertible other people can shift over one file into a different type of convertible Mm
1: -hmm. or maybe
0: a different drawer in the file cabinet and look at other 1992 vehicles but no one is going to take the jump to the shrek soundtrack yeah whereas. I have a spaghetti brain. That's what my brother always titled it. And at first I was like a spaghetti brain, but now it's a great layman definition for the way it operates. My thoughts aren't hyper organized where I have to go from one thing to an adjacent thing. All my thoughts kind of touch and blend together. And this is really helpful when it comes to brainstorming, looking at solutions, Mm -hmm. seeing similarities and patterns and environments because I can view the whole picture. And Mary is very similar in that. So when Mary and I have a conversation, we can jump from topic to topic to topic and we're still on topic with each other. Mm -hmm. Even though we just ran through convertibles, Shrek, waffles, breakfast, my favorite brunch place. We're always on the same page, same
1: book, same chapter, even when we're going a hundred miles per hour. And it's really fun to have um, friends and to have conversations where you're constantly jumping and you don't have to, you don't have to bite your tongue and wait for them to be done before you change the topic, but you also don't have to slow down and they're like right with you. And you don't have to explain the connections. Right. Yeah. You can Mary just Mary gets the
0: connection that I had. Mm-hmm. I don't have to walk through it it's beautiful.
1: yeah. and something else that i think we do with each other that i personally really like is um i feel like we are always thinking or prioritizing um our individual needs when we're having a conversation whether we're like out and having fun like outside of a work setting or even like in a work setting um in terms of like self-care, movement, nutrition, in terms of all of those areas i think sleep i think we're if we notice that anything's off or if either one of us has said something um, or if it's just like a certain time of day, early in the morning, lunchtime, dinnertime, whatever, we are very quick to be like, oh, like, have you had time to do this for yourself today? No. Okay. Let's stop what we're doing. You can go do that and then we'll come back. You know, like, I think that's something we equally prioritize and think about and then like bring up, like, no, like we don't want to move forward until those personal needs have been met.
0: Yeah. And one more thing here before we move on to our next topic, I also think something that makes our friendship stellar, we have that mutual respect, that communication, that love, and something that Mary and I are both also able to do and receive is feedback. Yeah. And I think that's huge. We haven't had many instances within our friendship dynamic where we've had a lot of giving and receiving feedback.
1: Mm -hmm. But there have
0: been times where something's happened in one of our lives and we bring the information forth and we're able to give and receive both positive and critical feedback. And since we both know it's coming from a place of love, it's coming from wanting this person to be the best that they can be, and it's coming authentically through, it's never been an ego hit because we know
1: the function of the behavior is quote unquote pure. Foundation is already supporting a psychologically safe, Atmosphere. So I think ego is really, really hard if it's involved in giving and receiving feedback, whether it's a friendship or um, like a colleague or a supervisor or whatever. And I think having a psychologically safe place to talk and ask for help makes it a lot easier without ego on either side, makes it a lot easier to hear what the other person is saying. And also receive like fully receive some critical feedback like things you could do differently I don't even like saying critical but like not not praise about what happened also met with support and advocacy for you know moving forward
0: so this might already feel a little deep but Mm -hmm. that's exactly what friendships are they have deep roots especially
1: especially for Pisces and Cancer
0: yeah, my roots are in the magma core of the earth. Thank you very much. Yes. Let's pivot a little into the realms that we originally met, which is the educational sector. Mary Let's and I are both board certified behavior analysts, but we have slightly different priorities. Would do you me. want to open
1: up there? We have different research scopes. I'll get us started. Um, My research interest, my, my, like, Um, obsession with the research that I do and what really got me into OBM was knowing that you can move things in the environment and contrive locations and time and tasks to help people do their job better, but also like not hate their job. To me, that's super, super appealing and the like helper in me that um, wants people to, you know, love what they do, but also do it well, is just really, really obsessed with the idea that we, that our science has research to support that that's the case, whether it's in a hospital setting or in like a business setting of any kind, you know, health and human services or not. It's, it's just really, it's encouraging. It's hopeful to know that it's not necessarily about the person interacting with the environment. It's how that environment is catering to the person who's interacting in it, if that makes sense. So my primary areas of research interest and like my scope is um, burnout mitigation and health and human service settings and also self-management and also ACT. So like how they kind of blend together in my head is – the burnout mitigation is all about, you know, making sure people's needs needs are being met, but without um, negative impacts to key performance indicators at the organizational level. And then the self-management ties into that burnout mitigation, because if you're practicing self-monitoring and self-evaluating, it's a lot easier to, you know, shape your own behavior or advocate for yourself and your resources and your needs depending on um, where you're at to stay in that place of, you know, not experiencing burnout or being able to recover um, and close some of those stress cycles. And then in addition to the self-monitoring, having an ACT approach. So, you know, developing your own personal and professional values. So that way, when you come into a workspace, you're like, okay, these are the organizational values. Do they match with my professional values? How are my personal values being catered to and met? they all kind of marry together and that's my area of interest for anyone
0: listening can you explain what act stands for and what that includes
1: yeah so act is acceptance and commitment therapy what i'm particularly interested in is acceptance and commitment training um they sometimes they don't differentiate it or they just say act training Um, But ACT is a therapy you can get certified in and, you know, psychologists and consultants will say like, oh, I'm ACT certified. What I'm talking about is the same certification, but in terms of practicing um, the mindset with um, and the behaviors with um, individuals specifically like in their workplace or outside of it, whereas the ACT therapy is, you know, in a therapy setting where you're working with a therapist Um, But I'm actually doing the course right now to get my certification, which is really exciting. So without going through all of the, you know, key terms, the main point is that it allows you to explore some of those private events, some of those covert behaviors and kind of work through your private events being like your emotions and how they relate to your behaviors in a more behavior analytic way. And then it gives you tools in moving forward. So again, like pursuing a life where, you know, you're healing from past instances of, you know, hardship and challenge. You're treating other people with kindness and respect. And you're learning more about, you know, how you want to live your life.
0: Yeah, and ACT is a extension of relational frame theory or RFT. Mm
1: -hmm. You're using
0: those same principles within stimulus equivalence and behavior analytic concepts and applying them to things like depression, burnout, addiction
1: yeah and with with all of that i'm very very interested and passionate about the research side so when it comes to looking reading and disseminating articles it gives me no greater joy than to hear somebody talking and say hey i i really wonder if there's a study that's been done with this intervention and With this population and what the results were and me going on Google Scholar being like, I'm pretty sure I know which one, finding it and then sharing it in the Zoom chat. Like it gives me no greater joy, quite literally. So that's my side and Jackie's side is a little different. So I wanted to share that so you guys can compare um, our research scopes, but also our research or methods of being a practitioner in um, OBM. Yeah, so...
0: Like Mary was saying, we are both in OBM, which I think was a huge connection for us as well when we were starting our friendship. Normally, at least in my anecdotal experience, the main populace of individuals who are in organizational behavior management are men. So having another woman that I could bounce these ideas off of was really helpful because At least when I entered, it felt like it wasn't really a space for women. Women got to work with the kids with autism and men were in business. Mm -hmm. So it was really great for us to have each other. And then as time has continued, we've gotten more and more women role models within the field who have that experience, who are higher up. I'm not saying that they do not exist, Yeah, but predominantly, at least where we were, it felt like it was mainly a male dominated sector. Very much so. Yeah. In OBM, Mary and I have slightly different scopes. So when we met, she was all about hospitals. And I also have interest in business, but a lot of my OBM scope was looking more so at ways that we can affect the public sector. So the difference between ABA and OBM is ABA is a direct approach. So it's one zero. You are one, you are using behavior analytic skills to help the client who is zero. In OBM, we have an indirect approach. So it is two, one, zero. You are two coming in and giving behavior analytic information to one who is that employee, that performer, who then can help zero the client. So we're taking just that extra step back there. Uh, So my scopes, we're looking more so at ways that we can help individuals in the public sector for quote unquote, hot topics. But outside of just using the general term public sector, I haven't really come up with a new good term to identify what my interests are. My master's thesis, for example, was using behavioral skills training to teach human service staff how to respond in active shooter scenarios. I've also done some research, some public speaking on things like diversity, equity, inclusion, allyship. I and Mary's interest overlap in the realm of burnout and burnout mitigation. Is that something that is prevalent in the health and human service sector and super prevalent within our field? So once again, looking at helping a large amount of people. And then on the final note here, I've done some public speaking on giving and receiving feedback for online formats, sexual harassment formats, and looking at ways that we can make instruction. So at that educational level, ways that we can make instruction more inclusive and welcoming for the students who are a part of that. So seeing what techniques, behaviors, educators can engage in to create an environment for students that is safe, where we set them up for success. One of the things that's important to me is that when I'm an educator, when I'm an instructor, my students are my clients and i want to model for them the same respect the same care the same dignity that they should have for their clients Mm
1: -hmm. and then
0: as an instructor you have the potential to impact students who are going to go and impact a wealth of clients so i also look at ways that we can just make that classroom experience more beneficial for students in terms of quality but then also we know the effects of engagement and welcoming on success. So looking at what we can change in our behaviors as educators to
1: make even more competent and confident professionals when they leave. And Jackie's an incredible instructor and just has the most amazing spaces for um what she teaches. Can you touch on that a little bit?
0: Sure. So I, at this moment, I've taught a couple of courses and I've done some of them for more semesters than I've done others. And a lot of it honestly comes from giving respect. I think a lot of the times there's an assumption within a power dynamic that me as the person in the higher position of power should just have respect, Mm -hmm. but I don't think respect is assumed. I think it's earned.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. So showing up being authentic, asking my students how their week is doing, how they're engaging in self-care, what name they would like me to call them, what pronouns they would like me to use when referring to them. Mm -hmm. And just those really simple, small behaviors make students feel like they matter to you. They're not just a student, they're a human in your life. And students have loved it. I've gotten great feedback from almost all of my students that I've had to the extent that one of my students decided to make a rate my professor page for me so she could give me five stars. Oh, So it's been really awesome. And it's really reinforcing to see that those same principles in just universal design are helpful for students. And here, if anyone's interested, I am going to plug a book. This individual, I saw them speak at ABAI two years back. And I was like, you're my new role model. Done. So this is Dr. Tisha Fitzgerald, and she wrote a book titled Anti-Racism and Universal Design for Learning, Building Expressways to Success. And if you're at all interested in being an educator at any level, I think giving this book a read is going to be beneficial for you because it's hinting on things like respecting and honoring our students understanding that they have whole lives going on outside of this and allowing them to show up in the capacity that they're able to show up for that day. So with my students too, I tell them like, if you want to bring, cause I teach online students. So normally they have a full day of work before coming to see me. So I tell them, you know, if you didn't be, if you didn't eat dinner, bring your dinner into class and eat it. I don't care. Yeah. If you have to get up and go to the bathroom, go, that's fine. And just, or uh, emphasizing communication. So I tell students, you know, if you've had a bad day, if something's going on, let me know. And I'll get messages from students like, hey, I had a client punch me in the face today. Is it okay to have my camera off? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank you for letting me know. I'm glad you're showing up in the way that you're able to for class today. So just really putting your own ego aside as a professor as the person in front of the room and understanding that we all have different experiences, we all have different backgrounds and we are all continuing to learn, grow and improve ourselves. So I'm big on this instructor format. Yes. And that's another way that Mary and I are different is she is all about the research.
1: That is true. And we are very into our professional lives, but something that I think we both equally value is making sure that we're taking time outside of our professional work to do things that we really love and enjoy. And I would say one of those things includes um, being dog moms. We're both dog moms. Absolutely. And our doggies are perfect. We love them both value and love our dogs a whole freaking lot. And we talk about it a lot. And that's another way Jackie and I are friends and <laughs> communicate, um, and share values. But for a little bio, we have miss Susie Cousy. Her, uh, real name is Susie Q, which is adorable. She's five. She is a black Labrador and I love her with my whole heart. Um, not to, not to go too deep, just like deep for two seconds. I've realized in the past few months that I do need to go to therapy specifically for death because I have not had immediate, I've had like grandparents, but I haven't had like immediate individuals or beings in my life pass away Um, in that sense. And that is a very real thing that everyone experiences. And I've realized that it's something that I um, am not equipped to handle at this moment, but Anyway, I love her with my whole heart. She's my first dog, and she's the cutest. Her personality is anxious because of moi. I'm an anxious girly trying to get better at it, but that's her, and she's just lovable and, like, happy to be around, and all she wants to do is explore the world and, like, be around people. Bio for Olive, she will be two in October. She's a tri-tip corgi, and she is the cutest corgi on earth that's what i believe she's sassy she's very smart um she's super intuitive you can just kind of tell and she loves to play fetch love it let's hear about your pup, pup, jackie
0: my baby his name is hercules his middle name is mudigan it's a play off of hercules mulligan from hamilton but that original Hercules name is from Disney. He's about three right now and Hercules is a rescue. So I'm not 100% sure on his mix of breed, but from the information I've been able to gather, I do believe he is part Pitbull, part Great Dane. So he's a 70 pound muscle goofball. I took him in when I was doing some work with the unhoused population. He was neglected, malnourished, untrained, 10 months old, and had been outside 24 seven in Florida. Um, So we had to do quite a bit of training when I first got him. I couldn't take him anywhere because he had no vaccines. So that name Hercules came because he did a full 180. He was really, really ill. And now he's beautiful. He couldn't do anything he wasn't potty trained didn't respond to a name didn't know sit and now he communicates his wants and needs sometimes using buttons to let me know play versus outside versus snack so he went from zero to hero so he's my little boy he's also really smart he is a very smart boy very empathetic Mm -hmm. um and he's the light of my life we and he's watching that. me right now as I talk about him.
1: <laughs> he knows. He knows. Now that we've dived into the pool, just like Miss Taylor Swift diving into the stage, uh, I, I stole it from the toast. Sorry, I was listening to the toast and they made that analogy. I did not make that up. Um, I just thought it was really cute. Should we do a rapid fire through our um, hobbies that we practice and that we love and our life joys? Sure thing.
0: Rapid fire, my hobbies. I like to collect rocks. I like to go to like the local streak, the local, the local streak. I like to go to the local stream, the local Creek, see what crystals I can find. Right now I have a whole glass jar full of rocks that I have to tumble. But this past week I was able to find some really big chunks of uh, quartz, which was awesome. I also love binge watching TV. I'm not a one episode gal. Uh, I like playing video games, which is so funny because when children find out that you play video games as an adult, they're like, isn't that a kid's thing? Like I literally right now play fall guys, which is a game for children, but it's great because it allows me to check out. I love reading and I'm big into true crime. And I think part of that comes from being able to figure out what behaviors did work for people and being able to engage in those behaviors for my success so like I told my mom the other day on the phone because she just finally got into true crime following the Murdos. She never understood why I was into any of it at all. And I gave her the breakdown that like, when I travel across country, each time I stop at a gas station, my dad gets my location. When I go inside and I go to the bathroom, I'll pull out a piece of my hair and I leave it on the bathroom floor. I'll also leave my thumbprint on the mirror. And then when I am in my car again with the doors locked, about to leave I'll text my dad and tell him that I'm leaving so it's like all those small things yeah sure it takes me a little extra time to engage in those behaviors but if something were to happen to me there is evidence that I was here
1: so those are some of my hobbies Mary what about you My hobbies include, I really love to play golf. My mom was a professional golfer. She will never tell you that. So I have to shout it and scream it at the top of my lungs. Um, because she's amazing. And my dad also plays golf and that's how they met super cute, but we're, we're not here to talk about that right now. Um, I love golf. I have an emotional attachment to the sport. Um, also because of I'm really think genetics, um, and also practice. I'm, I'm not bad. I'm not horrible, which in any other sport, you know, count me out, but I really love it. And it really does, um, you know, bring me joy and it's a hobby that I really should do more. Um, but I love it. I'm, I'm a golf girly for sure. I am the same as Jackie with binge watching TV, watching TV, And TV shows and getting invested in um, fake people's lives is one of my favorite things to do. It's also very like emotionally therapeutic. I love myself a good fantasy um, in terms of books and movies. and My love language is quality time. So if there's something that my husband or a friend of mine invites me to do that, you know, normally I would never do by myself, if I'm able to be with them the entire time and chitty chitty chat away, you bet your bottom dollar that I will be there. And I consider that a hobby of mine. <laughs> my last hobby is, um, I was trying to think of a way to succinctly describe it, but it's like motivational movement because your girl is super, like she's got the anxiety. It's here, it's in my body. And fortunately, in terms of like HIT workouts, I don't regularly do HIT because um, it stresses me out. However, in terms of like doing a run with like the Peloton app, doing a fast walk, um, any type of, you know, moving my body in that way where there's like motivational music or like, um, affirmations put in that can really decrease my anxiety, which is super helpful if I'm just really, really in my head. Um, and so I would, I try to prioritize that as a hobby because I know it's good for my mental health. Um, but it's also kind of fun because I just am high strung and it helps me mellow out a little bit. Those are my hobbies. So kind of separate from those hobbies, what are some things in life that bring you joy? My joy. Uh, Life chats. Like I said, quality time is a really big one for me. (laughs) Rainy days with um, my pups. So I have more of an excuse to snug with them. Taking um, hot, hot, hot baths with Epsom salts. Being comfy cozy. So comfy socks, comfy robe, comfy um, essential oils, blankets and nature dosing being out in nature really just literally standing in my backyard listening to the birds those are my life joys and my friends and family obviously like i i feel like that's for both of us but I, a given a given yeah i have to say that what about you miss jackie sorry i need to stop calling you miss jackie because you don't you don't like that and you tell your students not to call you that because you're not a preschool teacher
0: That is exactly what I tell my students. They can call me Professor Noto, Instructor Noto, or Jackie, because we're both adults. (laughs) Professor Noto, what are your life
1: joys?
0: (laughs) So my life joys are, one, of course, friends and family. Huge. Systems of support. Amazing. Love them. I love traveling. At this point, I've been to 20 countries. I've actually been to more countries than I have American states. And I love being a part of the local culture, the food, the history, the architecture, their art, their music. It's a big joy of mine. I'm also into those linguistics. So I am conversationally fluent, obviously in English, well, hopefully proficiently fluent in English, but then I'm conversationally fluent in Spanish, French, and American sign language. I like learning more about different places and then going and enjoying those places on enjoying new places, I also love any opportunity to dress up. A big part of this for me is Renaissance fairs. So my current Renaissance fair go-to costume is I show up as Maleficent with the full horns and everything to the extent that children, adults wanna take pictures with me. So I pretty much have a job at the Renaissance fair. But also if you ever hit me up with a good themed party, I am down. I am a little upset because the weekend of my brother's wedding shower, I'm gonna miss a Shrek rave. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I get to dress up and it's in the realm of Shrek and it's a party. So that's like ideal for me. Any opportunity to dress up and play pretend as an adult is great. Another huge life joy of mine is fall, the whole season. Give me the pumpkins. I want to make jack-o'-lanterns. Give me apple picking. Give me sunflower patches. Give me haunted houses. Give me kids trick-or-treating. Give me dressing up and going to a party. I am a fall gal. Apple cider, donuts, sweaters. It's the best season. Crunchy leaves. How can you not? And then looping back here, even if I'm not abroad, I love trying out new foods. I like going to local restaurants and having those foods. I love music, a bunch of different genres. My main genres would probably be 90s, rap music, and alternative. So I'm in a wide range. When I study, when I do work, I listen to Mozart. I used to perform and do musicals. Music is a big part of my life. And I actually can sing. I will not show you on the podcast, but at some point in time, I'll have to show you my abilities there. And then I love art. So I like going and seeing art, but I'm also a big creator of art. So I like to paint. I used to write poetry and compete in poetry. I like to color. I like to draw. I like pottery. I've done printmaking. Um, A lot of art components that you can think of, I've probably done them or still currently do them. At my house right now, I have my own easel. I have canvases. I have a toolbox filled with paints, palette scrapers. Looping back to, I think, one of our first episodes, I am a Bob Ross babe, all about the joy of painting. So for me, a big part that brings me joy into my general life is music, art, culture. So
1: this would be my choice. Thank you for sharing. Hopefully we shared enough to where you feel like you know us a little bit better, and we thought we owed that to anyone who's listening, and we appreciate you being here. So to wrap us up here today, Mayor, how are you staying hydrated this week? I am staying hydrated by taking my dogs on a walk because I do not normally want to go, especially if it's at the end of the day. And I suck it up and I take them. And every single time I'm like, Wow. It brings me joy to see their joy. That is this dog walk because it is the most exciting thing of their life and also randomly FaceTiming good friends and family. I did that kind of accidentally this week and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to do that more often. That is how I am filling my pretty empty cup. That's how we're filling her up this week. What about you, Jackie? Fill her up. So for me, my big hydration,
0: and this has been going on for maybe three weeks now, is a friend of mine from back home Her aunt wrote a mystery novel. And what her and I have been doing is every week we read five chapters and then we'll text about it, our assumptions, what we took away, who we think it is, what we found off. So we have like a mini book club with just the two of us where we're going through this book. And it was an absolutely amazing read. Normally I can predict the ending of mystery novels. So I'm a big Agatha Christie fan because she doesn't give me that secret. And this book, I felt the exact same way about. I couldn't figure out who committed the crime until one of the final chapters of the book, which is huge for me as mm-hmm. someone with spaghetti brain. It's very easy for me to figure out who did what, what the ending's going to be. And with this book, I couldn't. So if anyone's interested, one, obviously having a book club with your friends is a grand old time. But this book itself is called The First Fiancee, a Bethany Jarvis mystery by Rita pop. So if you're interested at all, I'd give it a read because I'm someone who is turned away from most mystery novels because I can figure out the ending. So if you're like me at all with that, I did not get the ending for this until we were at the ending. So I would highly recommend it to anyone who's interested. That sounds like an amazing wreck. Thank you.
1: And that wraps up this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to make waves, collect data, and as always, behave yourself.